Timothy in chapter number 2. John was just telling me how unwell Maureen was today, so we need to remember Maureen in our prayers in particular. Um, good to see Les and Norma back tonight, isn't it, after being away at the weekend. And always good to have Sheila back with us as well, isn't it? It's good to have that. Um, I had thought about introducing a new hymn again tonight, but I haven't had time to organise that, so forgive me. It was a it was a hymn that was going to be in keeping with the theme of the ministry tonight, but we'll need to save that for, for another time. Before we read a couple of things, just to say, one is thank you, folks, for your support and prayer over another year of our service for the Lord. We're greatly appreciative of all the times you prayed for us, both individually and as an assembly. And we've been great. This has been one of the years where, despite one or two disappointments, we've had some tremendous encouragements, haven't we, really? Both personally and in the assembly, and we're grateful to the Lord for that. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of Janet and I to you folks for, for praying for us as we serve the Lord in the different ways that we do. You support us in a wonderful way. And in particular, during these last few months of Janet's illness, we have been greatly sustained by your encouragement and your prayers. And if there's any credit, it's to you folks for praying for us to help us through the difficulties and the circumstances with the Lord's presence. So thank you for that. I'm also on my annual recruitment drive. Um, As a young man, somebody encouraged me to read through the scriptures in a whole year. And at this time of the year in December, I like to try and encourage people, if you've never done that, to start doing it on January the 1st. Um, to adopt a Bible reading scheme that will take you right through the whole Bible once in a year. It's been one of the greatest blessings in my life. Um, Duduzi and I use the same uh, the same scheme. I think Sheila uses the same scheme as well. Uh, and it just it, it has an accountability to it when you do it together, doesn't it? You know, uh, if you're doing the same scheme with somebody else, it's got an accountability to it. But it's also got a great common encouragement in it as well as you share things together that you've you've just been reading reading that day. So I want to encourage you to take that up, folks, if you could. Um, if you're interested, I could start yet another WhatsApp group. I know you've probably got 100 on your phone, but I would set up a group and just post the readings for the day every day. I would just put them on the, just the readings every day if you are interested in that. If you're interested in just joining that little exercise for 2023, let me know. If you're not, that's okay. But I mean, I'm sure we've all got our own Bible reading schemes, but I, I, I like to just do it with people together that keep, keep us going <coughs> that way. What I'm going to speak about tonight from 2 Timothy chapter 4 has actually sprung out of another Bible reading scheme that I've adopted um, during this year. At the beginning of this year, I adopted a scheme that Stephen Harper's been doing for a while that takes you through the Gospels four times in a year. So every day you're reading a passage from the Gospels. And that's been a real, real blessing to me. And I think if I've learned anything from reading through the, the Gospels four times this year... so my, my, my Bible reading takes about 25 minutes in the morning, folks. By the time I've done the, the, the first set of readings and then the gospel reading, it takes about 25 minutes. So it is a bit of a commitment for the day if, if you're going to do it. But I think if I've learned anything from the ministry of the Lord Jesus this year, and I've been not just watching him and, and his works, I've been listening to his teaching. I, and 
One of the things I've learned from the Lord Jesus this week, uh, this year in the Gospels is that to be a Christian is not a good lifestyle choice, folks. It's not. Uh, the Lord Jesus never, ever portrayed becoming his disciple or following him as an easy option in life. You know, he talked about taking up his cross. He talked about denying yourself. And he says in, in John's Gospel, he says, my kingdom is not of this world, else would my children fight. And later on, you'll see in another place, he says, in the world ye shall have tribulation, troubles, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And so the Lord Jesus made it very plain right from the beginning that if you want a lifestyle choice, don't choose to be a Christian because that's not, you're, 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 you're in for a tough life because you're living by the rules that belong to another kingdom altogether and you're living in a, in, in a foreign land. And that's really what's in my heart tonight because in Second Timothy, Paul's been walking that way, hasn't he? You know, we've been thinking in Second Corinthians about the trials and tribulations that's come his life. And he's and he'll talk later on in this book about being ready to be offered and the time of his departure is at hand. And he's got a, a next generation coming along. And he's wanting to he's wanting to equip the next generation to be a faithful Christian testimony when when he's gone. The sadness is folks for about two or three hundred years in the UK and in the West, being a Christian has actually been looked on as being a good thing, hasn't it really? Generally speaking, if you were a Christian, Christians were considered to be a good influence in society, they were considered to be uh, a positive thing, and Christianity was considered to be a benefit to society. Sadly, that is not the case now. In the 21st century, to be a real biblical Christian means life is going to become increasingly difficult for us in all sorts of spheres, isn't it? You know, you think of doctors now that, and uh, Christian doctors that are not allowed even to pray with their patients, even if the patients wanted them to pray, they're not allowed to do it. And the the Christian organisations that are active and standing up for Christian rights, and they've never been busier, have they? Because there's such opposition. And the Lord Jesus said, or no, Peter said, and he's doing epistles be ye holy for I am holy saith the Lord and that doesn't mean that we're to live a holier than now perfect life looking down at people it just means to strive after holiness as the object of your life that's what it means set your set your direction of life in the direction of holiness and press on towards that and the more we do that in the 20 seconds 21st century, 2022 and 2023, the more we're going to come in conflict with the folks that are around us. And I don't mean to be, we're objectionable or argumentative. I just mean by virtue of the fact that we live a Christian life, we will just have to be different. Otherwise we compromise and we sell out the Lord to the world. And so, so what I've got in my mind tonight is to look at four pictures that Paul says are important for Christians to live for the Lord. Now, as you can imagine, my English at school was pretty poor. 
I've actually learned more English grammar by studying my Bible than I ever did studying at school. And I've, I've learned from a Bible what a metaphor is that I never understood at school. You know, a metaphor is a, a, a picture of something that parallels something else that's really important. And these four pictures, these four metaphors that Paul brings to Timothy are really important. He says, as Christians, we have to live like this, like this, like this, like this, like this. And Paul's really thinking, I'm not going to be here for much longer. I need young Timothy to know how he should live as a Christian. And as we come towards the end of 2022, folks, I, I, I can really say to you, I've never been more encouraged by seeing younger Christians in Benson than I've ever been this week. The Indians coming, the students coming. It's great. And I'm conscious that I won't be here forever. And I think the rest of my time would be well spent encouraging a younger generation to be what Paul was encouraging Timothy to be. So that's what's on my heart tonight, really. To, 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 let's read it and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Read from Second Timothy in chapter number 2, beginning at verse 1. He says, Thou therefore, my son, and, and that's that's a term of affection, isn't it? He says, like, he's looking at a young man, not just looking at succession planning like somebody in a, a firm would do. He's looking at a family relationship and looking for the family to continue. And he's got a tenderness to that. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And can you see what's happening here? There's four legs in the relay race. You know, again, I wasn't good at English. I wasn't very good at games either. But I was involved in a relay race. And there was four runners in a relay race, isn't there? And there's four runners in this relay race. There's Paul. There's Timothy. Commit to faithful men, number three, who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul's at least thinking of three generations further down the line. Can you, can, can you see what he's doing? Now, nobody would have believed more eminently in the return of the Lord Jesus and Paul, right? Okay. But Paul's desire to see testimony continue is not compromising his belief in the eminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just saying, we want the Lord to come, but if the Lord doesn't want to come, if he doesn't come, we want the testimony to continue. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. They're actually complementary, aren't they? And so what he's saying is, here's me, I've got a baton in my hand. Timothy, your turn, your turn. And he says, once you've done your turn, then you find faithful men and give them the baton, pass it on, who shall be able to teach others also Pass the baton on. And if you've ever watched the Olympic Games in the um, in the relay races, you'll know what happens if somebody drops the baton. Mm-hmm. Won't you? Mm-hmm. Game over. Game over. The baton's dropped and the, the race doesn't continue or it's they, they don't pass it on in time. You know what you know they you know they've got a, a, an area to pass it on on. If they don't pass it on in time, what happens there is disqualified. There's only a limited amount of time to pass it on. And Paul's saying, Listen, my time's running out, Timothy. Here's the baton. Take it. Please take it. It's your turn. It's your turn. 
I'm trying hard not to be what I always objected to when I was a young person. I always objected to grumpy old men that you'd stand on the platform, right? Okay, I'm trying hard to, to not become one of them, but the more I, I get older, the more grumpy I become. But, but folks, my race is nearly done, right? My race, naturally speaking, is nearly done. And there's folks here and it's, it's your turn now. It is. It's your turn now. And as people like me talk, what we're doing is we're not looking down at you and saying, you know, you're not as good as we were. We're actually saying, listen, take this and do better than we've done. Do better than we've done. Run the next leg faster than I've run. Make a better job of this than I've done. And that's what, I don't think Paul said make a better job of it. He's just saying, look, take your turn, Timothy, your turn. And that's a big responsibility, folks. To realise when it's your turn to start really getting serious about the things of the Lord. And he says this. So here's these four pictures, these four metaphors. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the first picture he says is, Timothy, you're enlisted in the army. You're a soldier. Now, this soldier is not a territorial or a reservist that's just called up in times of crisis. This is a full-time, signed-up, life-career-seeking soldier. This is what he's saying. Timothy, you've signed up. You've signed up as a soldier. But look what he says. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. When I was coming, I was going, was going down or coming up, I can't remember. Like, last week when I was on the plane, there was a guy sitting beside me, and he was like, oh, he was really, really posh. I could, I could tell he was posh, just, um, just the way he dressed and the way he demeaned himself. And He, he was older than me. It was, it was on the way down, and it was, it was on the way down. And as I was walking off the plane behind him, I'd been chatting to him, and we just, just pleasantries, you know, nothing, nothing deep or special. Just how you doing? Where are you going? Going to London? Going for meetings? All that sort of stuff. And and as he as he was going off the plane, he picked up his um, his phone, and as he walked up the ramp, he says, "It's General So and So here." And he was a general in the British Army. Then I looked at that man. That man must have spent his life. In the British Army, here's a here's a here's a career soldier that's spent his whole life serving his king or his queen and country, and I, and I thought how good that was really. I had never sat beside a general as far as I know before. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, listen, you're you're signed up for life here. You're signed up for life. Okay. Verse five. And if I'm, a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive. Lawfully. The second picture is the picture of an athlete. So if any man strive, it means to strive after the prize. It's the picture of a, an athlete. So there's the second picture that a Christian is. A Christian is a soldier. And a Christian is an athlete or a sportsman. Now, now that's a common picture with Paul, isn't it? In Second Corinthians, you'll talk about, you know, you know, being a boxer. And he's saying, listen, one of the things about an athlete is this, is, you know, if you're going to win, you've got to do it without cheating. 
No shortcuts. There's no easy routes. You know, there was a, a, a guy, I think it was a New York Marathon, he, he finished in a, a record time and he discovered that what he'd done, he'd, got, he'd jumped in a bus <laughs> and he'd taken a bus for most of the route, you know, and you know, you know, he actually finished, but he had not strived lawfully, right? And you, you look at athletes and you see the amount of time and effort and energy they spend to strive lawfully to win an earthly crown. And Paul will see that in another place. If they're striving to to win an earthly crown, what should you be striving for if you're going to win uh, an eternal crown? You know, some mornings when I go down to Durham Jail, about half past six, I cross the bridge, Old Elvet Bridge, and in November, December and January, at half past six in the morning, there's young students out in the cold practising their rowing. At half past six in a cold winter's morning. I wonder if I would get up at half past six in a cold winter's morning to go and pray. Hmm? And you ask these athletes, is it worth it? All that effort, all those days, all those cold mornings, all those miles that you travelled, was it worth it? Everyone would say, it was worth it. It was worth it, wouldn't they? See, folks, if, if, if people commit themselves to that sort of stuff, mm. Paul's saying, listen, that's just a picture of what you should be like. Look, next one. Verse 6. The husbandman that laboureth must be first partaker of the fruits. And my authorised version doesn't make it clear. It means that the farmer must work patiently before he becomes partaker of his fruits. That's what he means. He's talking now not about a soldier and he's not talking now about an athlete. He's talking about the Christian as a farmer. And he's saying, listen, you've got to work hard, patiently, before the fruit will come. Nothing happens quick, instantaneously. Now, we believe the Lord can work instantaneously, don't we? We really believe that. Because that's the God that we serve. He doesn't need... But in Christian life, usually, it's a matter of being patient and consistent and keeping going, isn't it? And he's saying, listen, as a Christian, you've got to learn to be patient. And you've got to learn to sow and before you reap. Isn't that right? Now, you can think about that. and I'll just take five more minutes. You think about that in lots of ways. How does a Christian sow? Well, they that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but they that sow to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit life everlasting. What What's that saying? It's saying that in your life, if you spend your life pursuing earthly things, fleshly things, do you know what you'll get in the end? Nada. Nothing. Because it's just corruption. It'll just all go away. But if you sow to the Spirit, in other words, if you go in for Christian things, spiritual things, it'll be a long time coming, probably, but in the end, you'll reap life everlasting. And again, the sadness of the 21st century is that everybody wants instantaneous results, don't they? Our microwave's broken. What a nightmare. I mean, you have to actually cook stuff rather than just sticking it in the oven and in the microwave for 30 seconds, right? You know, we want instant coffee. You know, we, we even put the coffee pot on Early shows it's ready for us when we're finished. We're not even prepared to wait for the coffee to brew when we're finished. We, we just want everything now, don't we? The Lord says, no, actually, 
as a Christian you need to learn not to just want everything now. Mm-hmm. As a Christian you need to learn to be patient and to sow without seeing immediate results and wait for the Lord to bring the harvest. Isn't that right? One sows, another waters, but God gives the increase. And sometimes you're a sower, sometimes you're a reaper, but the Lord, I was reading in John 4 just this morning, and the Lord says, do you know what will happen in the end? The sower and the reaper shall do what? They'll rejoice together. They'll rejoice together. So there's missionaries, for example, that have laboured for years and actually physically seen nothing, but years after they've gone home to heaven, God has moved in mighty ways, and when the end comes, the sower and the reaper will reap together. So so how do we sow, what do we sow in our life? You know, and Paul says to the Galatians, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit, shall the spirit reap rape and lasting. So I take my day, it's been today, I take my 24 hours and I think, what am I sowing today? What am I sowing today? And you can go way into the Old Testament and there's lots of pictures of it. He that looks at the wind, he that looks at the rain will not sow. You know? It's no worth it. It's no worth it. It's too tough. It's too hard. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that another day. But the Lord, <laughs> it's interesting that the Lord talks about sowing the word as well, doesn't he? The sower went forth to sow. The field is the world. The seed. The, the field is the world. The seed is the the word of God. And sowing the seed of the word of God is so fundamentally important in the life of a Christian, isn't it? Really. And we don't always see immediate results. So, so there's our third picture. The first picture is the picture of a soldier, and that's what I want to speak about tonight. <laughs> Second picture is the picture of the athlete. Second, third picture is the picture of the farmer. What what is the fourth picture? Let's read down. Verse 7. Consider what I say and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Christ Jesus of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore... I endure all things for the elect's sake that they also might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Down to verse 15. We'll just jump down. Study to show thyself approved to God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So from reading that in my verse, my my King James version and um, study to show thyself approved you think to yourself great the next picture is that of a student isn't it now there are good students and bad students I fall into the latter category of that folks to be quite honest when I was a student but a good let's think about it a good student study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth so let's take it as a student first of all He's saying this, you've got to be a good student as a Christian as well. You've got to apply yourself to the word of God. 
can you see that? He says this, he says, you know, study to show thyself approved unto God, a woman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And he talks about the the importance of study. The importance of study. We're nearly finished, but folks, there is a difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible. You do know that, don't you? It would be kind of taken as read that it would be a very unusual thing for a Christian not to read their Bible, wouldn't it? Matter of fact, it would be a concerning thing if a professing Christian didn't read their Bible. Just the same as it would be the same as if a baby stopped eating. You know, one of the first things you notice about young children getting unwell is they're off their food. And if somebody's off their food, if a child's off their food, you think there's something wrong there. And so it's kind of taken as read that a healthy Christian will be reading their Bible. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying is if you're a serious Christian, you need to be studying your Bible. A matter of fact, so that means reading it carefully. But why should you study your Bible? The importance of study is to study not to be clever and not to be a preacher. Look what it says. Study to show thyself approved unto who? The assembly. Approved to God. You see, God's interested in getting to know his word better. God's taking the trouble to put his word down on the page and he expects us to make it our business to find out what he's got to say as accurately and as intensely as we possibly can. You know, I cannot tell you, I hear every word she says. But I don't pay attention to every word she says. And she'll say to me, you're not listening. And I said, I heard you. Well, I did hear her, but I wasn't listening. You see the difference between hearing and listening? Right? Hearing and paying attention. And Paul said, you listen. See, as a Christian, you've got to be a person that, you know, gets to know the word of God. Don't just read it. Don't just take the words in. You know, find out what God's saying. The importance of study. The diligence of study. A workman. That's an important word. That means talk, that talks about putting effort in and labour. The accurate, accuracy of study. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Easiest thing in the world to take one wee verse and run with it and make it say something that it doesn't mean to say at all, isn't it? Paul said, listen, don't become don't become pick and mix uh, Christians that just pick and mix a wee verse of the Bible here and a wee verse of the Bible there. I, I love to pick and mix at Woolworth. We used to go and, you know, I would only just ever pick uh, the sherbet bonbons, the, the, the strawberry ones, you know, because they were the ones I liked. And people do that with the Bible, don't they? They just go through and they pick out verses that they like and ignore the ones they don't. I've just been thinking just in the last week. You know, you've got to give equal weight to the commands of God and the promises of God. They've got equal weight. God's promises are wonderful to be claimed and enjoyed. Isn't that right? And we often give weight to the promises of God. But we've also got to give weight to the commands of God equally, haven't we? And then we need to be really, really careful because the danger of the word, studying the word of God is you'll get people who take the word of God and they'll change it. And he says, shun profane and vain babblings for they will increase unto more and godliness. And other people, in other words, people who will take and twist the word of God. 
So there's, there's my four pictures for you folks. Um, and if I get a chance, as we go into 2023, I want you to talk a little bit more about what it means to be a Christian soldier. You know, but the word study actually doesn't mean student. <laughs> Do you know what the word study really means? It means a, a craftsman, an artisan. You know, somebody that works with their hands at producing something. And, you know, a, a, a potter would take, who worked in a pottery, would take his pot to the, to the, 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 to take the boss, the supervisor, and he would say, listen, you know, is this approved? Can this go on sale? Can this go on sale? And, and so if the picture is a student, that's fine. But I think the picture is more to do with a craftsman. It's got to do with an artisan. You know, everybody loves an artisan bakery. What is an artisan bakery? I mean, Greg's is not an artisan bakery. However much you enjoy, you know, you know your pasties and your sausage rolls, Greg's is not an artisan bakery, is it? An artisan bakery is a place where you go and spend a lot more money for the same stuff that you would buy somewhere else in Tesco's. But an artisan bakery is a craftsman baker, isn't it? Where somebody has got skill and care and time and it's unique and... Paul saying, listen, when it comes to the word of God, you've got to be careful and you've got to be handling it properly so that when you produce what you produce and your understanding, you can take it to God and God will say, you got it right, you got it right, you got it right. Now, it doesn't mean we always agree in everything because there are areas where we can have discussion on, but, but in the big things, we've got to get it right, haven't we? And we've got to handle the word of God the way a craftsman would handle his his produce with care. You know, if you have spent a lot of time and a lot of energy making something, you're not going to treat it carelessly. You're going to care for it and, 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 and protect it and value it. And folks, the stuff you find in your Bible yourself, you value much more than the stuff you get from somebody else. Don't you? No, we're thankful for what we get from other people. And teaching is one of the God's means of instructing us and helping us. But you know what it's like when you're reading your Bible and you get something for yourself? That's the type of stuff you never forget. You know, you forget most of what the preacher says. But when you learn something from the Word of God, when it's your thing that you've produced by your study of the Word of God, when you've been careful about it and diligent about it and God has shone a light on it and you've got it yourself and you've taken it before the Lord and you know that that's what the Lord has said and you know that it's what God has said. It's not just what you've been taught. It's not just what you've heard all your life. It's what you've seen from the Word of God and you think, that's it. You'll never forget those things. So, I guess my wee exercise is to pass the baton on and say, my leg of the race wasn't there run very well, folks. I'm really sorry about that. But it's your turn. Please do it better than I did it. Please. Take up the baton and do it more seriously than I ever did. <coughs> Run faster than I ever did. Run further than I ever did. Put more effort in than I ever did. Do better than me. Do better than me. And Paul says, listen, we'll do that until the Lord comes. And none of are here forever. And you know what, folks? However difficult it gets, the Lord will have his testimony until he comes. Won't he? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it.
Wouldn't you love to be one that was carrying the baton when he came? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be one, love just to be one of the ones that was running the race faithfully when he came? So that when he comes, he'll be pleased with us when he comes. A little thing just to think about tonight, folks. And I trust the Lord encourages us to be a good soldier, a good athlete, a good farmer, and a good student or a good craftsman in the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for making big things easy for us to understand in some way by giving us pictures like this that we know. But we do realise, Lord, that the truth only becomes real to us when thy Spirit makes it real to us. And so we pray that words spoken might reach into our heart. Lord, we want to we want to be a good testimony for thee. We want to run well for thee. We want to fight a good fight. We want to see fruit and, and we want to be studying our, your word. We want to be that. But the whole world rebels against it, Lord, and doesn't like that. Help us to be faithful to you. And as we are together tonight, we're grateful to pray and grateful to hear your word and grateful to have a little time of fellowship and we give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen.